Welcome back. Hour number three of the Wendy Bell Radio Program today is zooming by. We're so delighted that you are here. You know, Paul Ryan uh, never was a big fan of Paul Ryan, wasn't a fan when he was with Mitch Mitt Romney. I'd never been a Mitt Romney fan. I've told you the story that when Mitt Romney went out there as our our go-to candidate, that that was who the Republican Party put out, I switched parties. And I registered at the age of 18 at Zuma Beach in Malibu, California, Republican, proud Republican. I decided that. I didn't grow up in a Republican household. I decided that. And some, what, 30 years later, whatever it would be. They put Mitt Romney out as the guy. He was the one, the best they could come up with. And I said, suck it. And I became a libertarian. And it wasn't until 2015 that I went back to the GOP. Look, we all have these decisions to make. But this guy, you're going to hear him. Washington Post sitting down with Paul Ryan. There is the the old rhino base. And and I wish I could tell you how many people of the 535 Congress people and, and senators of those who are Republican, what percentage represent this this faction of the GOP that's willing to roll over and take it from Democrats again and again and again? It's the faction of the party of, that brings us Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and John Cornyn, right? And, and so many others. At, at what point do these states, do these communities that have suffered by these decisions made by these folks have enough? I don't know. But when I heard Paul Ryan with this Washington Post guy, I was like, oh, we've got to play this because you have to hear You have to hear the aligning of this movement called Making America Great Again that is leaving this old guard in the the dust. And they know it. And the noose is tightening. And they feel it. Paul Ryan knows that. He's irrelevant. And yet he's emerging now 
With the Washington freaking post? Are you out of your mind? Well, you might be. So he sits down with this guy named Paul Kane. I don't know Paul Kane. I don't care. Right? I think the Washington Post, by and large, sucks. Whatever, if you like it, that's great. You've got to hear these audio sound bites. And, and the whole idea is they're talking about, in loose terms, Donald Trump, yes. But it's the movement. It's the groundswell of support. It's the diversity among the ranks. Black people don't normally vote Republican, right? That's what we're told. Young people, they, they don't normally. They don't vote Republican. That's what we're normally told. Suburban white college-educated women who I believe are responsible for the majority of the suck in our country, they don't normally vote Republican. But something's happening. And they know it is happening. So audio soundbite number one, you're going to listen to some butthurt, scrambling and hoping for relevance, Paul Ryan, in the sit-down interview with the Washington Post. Go. Word of Fox, correct? Yes. And do, you, do you feel as if Fox could do a better job of promoting some of the values that you're talking about? You know, uh, we do quite a bit. I mean, obviously, as you know, Tucker no longer works at Fox, and he was he was let go. I won't go into all the details of that, other than what 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 Fox they have. There's opinion, and then there's news, and news reports all of these aspects. And there are people with opinions that give their opinions. And look, I am in the minority in my party right now. I'm not in the establishment. I'm frankly an anti-establishment Republican. And you, I think you can safely argue, I don't enjoy acknowledging this, that Trump is the establishment and Trump populism is the establishment. And that Trump populism is this more isolationist strain that I think is wrong and dangerous and I, and I don't support. But that does represent um, a large swath of Republican voters. And so you will see opinions um, representing that majority, that establishment, um, um, that, that current present day establishment. So he's telling us that MAGA is the new establishment, that he's now the the lesserling of the fringe. But he's also saying that the ideas of this making America great again movement, which you feel the same way I feel, is somehow this isolationist thing. No, no. See, we're exactly the opposite, sir. We just don't like getting framed for crap we didn't do. We don't like getting entrapped by people who suck. We don't like judges who are corrupt, who are activists, and we don't like jury pools that have been tainted. We sure as hell don't like it when we see fellow Americans be thrown away in the gulag and, and put away in solitary confinement for God knows how long for doing nothing. It's all so familiar, isn't it? So are we really all that isolationist, Mr. Ryan? Or are you just so desperate to have relevance again because you've drifted off into the ethos and nobody cares? And he goes on, audio soundbite number two, on Donald Trump being the decisive candidate. Are you surprised that it's not even close? I mean, we don't even have to have other people. And listen to Paul Ryan de try desperately to defend and support the, the establishment person, Nikki Haley. Go. These indictments made him a victim. It gave him a very credible victim narrative, and that, that more grafted MAGA onto him. Um, people want to see a fighter. Yes, he was able to dispatch, and he sucks the oxygen out of the room with news. He can dominate news cycles. And that made it really hard for a lot of these primary opponents to really to catch fire. 
And you could argue we had too many. Uh, we had a big field that was too big for too long. Nikki's still hanging around the hoop, and you know I'm glad she's there. But I also think that our our party has changed. Um, we have a a party that is really dominated by Trump populism, and that is um, culture war populism. It's zero sum game politics. So it, we don't. Have, it's not a cons, it's not conservatism as I would describe it. Classical liberal conservatism where a party is based on principles and policies that achieve goals and ends that are timeless. And then th that, that can have a lot of people that could become the champion um, of those principles. It's really a party dominated by the cult of personality of Trump, the zero sum game politics that gets played off of that. The fact that he has been, you know, victimized more or less. And so that I think has made it harder for the, the let's just say at the 40% base to leave him and that in ease, so he was going into this primary with a very good sticky base. Calling it a cult of personality is idiotic. You have a bunch of people who are super butthurt that we love America. See this liberal conserva uh, conservatism he talks about? No, 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 no. Don't put that word in there with that other word. No, 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 no. See, we're not here to play games. We're not here to get along, go along, get along. No, no. We're here to save our country from destruction. And these people, and you're helping them destroy America. And you're showing us your venom every single time you go after Donald Trump. And if you think we can't see that, sir, I sure as hell hope you've got a better paying job than you had in Congress. Because you ain't coming back. That ship has sailed. I'm here to tell you. Audio soundbite number three. This is where rhinos forever, right? Rhinos forever. This is who these people want. Rhino Republicans are malleable. They're pushovers. They have more of an emotional response to things rather than a factual questioning. Oh, they can get wrapped up in the feelings of it, right? This is exactly what we're up against, and this is what we reject. Audio soundbite number three, Paul Ryan with The Washington Post. Look at the Marquette poll in Wisconsin. Nikki Haley beats Biden by double digits in Wisconsin and in other states. Trump beats Biden by one point. Mm. So I still think there's a big delta, a, a difference between pick your Republican, not named Trump. Let's just go with Nikki Haley. She destroys Biden, wins the House, wins the Senate in a general election. With Trump, because of Biden being so weak, he, st he still barely edges out Biden in the polls, um, makes it a close election. How do you know anything? Give me a break. This is the support of the... The rhino candidate, the establishment candidate, the candidate Democrats who are used to being in charge with Nancy Pelosi and her pterodactyl hands at the helm of the ship of fools, right? They need those ready to acquiesce rhino Republicans. They want Nikki Haley for that reason. Isn't it all so clear? I think so. Hey, did you hear? Because not a lot of people are talking about it. Jim Biden apparently testified before House Oversight. I heard he told the truth. To, uh, I'm sorry, I was I was wrong about that. We'll tell you what he said next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. You make the rockin world go round. 
It's truly amazing when you start to see all of this stuff out there and you start to hear it in a different pitch and you see through the garbage. It's super aggravating, but it's also empowering. Right. And so you you saw me this week earlier this week, if you've been a part of the show for a while, I had a very rough day on Tuesday. I was really dragging. It was just so much. And it, it's going to happen. It, it is going to happen. And you have to let it happen because it is through that where you literally ache. You ache. Because, you know, it's so not necessary and you know what's behind it. And it's greed and it's power and it's filth. And it's so antithetical to who we are. And all these other side skirmishes, the racial debates, the LGBTQ stuff. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It doesn't last forever. Thank God. It does not last forever. But you got to limp through it as well as you can. And talking about these issues is important. Look, when I hear Jim Biden, when I look at Joe Biden, and I don't call him president for a reason, I have a very strong feeling about people who cheat, about people who lie, about people who will abuse others for their own gain. I would sooner be penniless than be enriched by hurting someone else. I just wouldn't do it. It's not part of my DNA. Can't deal. And so when I see Jim Biden, and he, and he, there, there's pictures like paparazzi shots of him, like he's a rock star, and he's wearing a scarf. He, he oozes everything I wanted to punch in the moment. And there's not a lot of really good coverage about what he said before House Oversight. This is an article from Newsweek. So Newsweek.com, James Biden accuses critics of flat out lying in closed door meeting. Now, flat out lying. What are you flat out lying about? That you and your family had no skills and so you sold the Biden name and Joe was the vendor and Hunter was the bag man. And you, quite frankly, are just a, a bad businessman. You fleeced a Pennsylvania network, medical network, hospital system. You've lied about the checks that you've gotten. You've tried to you've tried to hide from regulators by splitting everything up into these little these little pockets of cash that would be infused in various family members accounts. You were flagged more than 100 times for these transactions that raised flags so many times and this guy has the audacity this is the only play he's got left because if he says yeah yep that was us he has got this is the detriment of lying because the snowball gets so big and you find yourself under oath lying through your teeth knowing that people know you're lying. Not only that the people who are on the other side of your political aisle know, but the people who are trying to run cover for you know. And all of them look at you as a dirtbag. That's it. See, who needs Newsweek? I just summed it up for you, but I'll tell you what they said. 
President Joe Biden's younger brother, James, accuses Republican critics of flat out lying about his brother's involvement in his business dealings during Wednesday's closed door meeting with House Oversight and Judiciary. In his opening statement to the panel, James Biden said his brother, quote, never, never, those absolutes are a real sticky part, ladies and gentlemen, never had any involvement or any direct or indirect financial interests over his 50-year career as a businessman. That's called grifter. And that anyone who has suggested that he used his status as the president's brother to advance his career has been, quote, either mistaken, ill-informed, or flat-out lying. Well, it's curious because we've got those, those recordings, transcriptions of him saying that. We have whistleblowers who stepped forward. We've got Tony Bobolinsky, who was a part of the, of the Biden family grift, part of it before he got axed, when he realized the hell was going on. So somebody's lying here, Jim, and I'm going to go with a Biden. James became the first member of the Biden family to testify before the House Republicans on Wednesday. President's son Hunter scheduled to appear next week on February 28th. I'm sure it'll be very similar. Their testimonies come amid the House impeachment inquiry, la da la da yada. And he says, because of my intimate knowledge of my brother's personal integrity and character as well as my own strong ethics. I have always kept my professional life separate from our close personal relationship, James told lawmakers. I never asked my brother to take any official action on behalf of me, my business, associates, or anyone else. And you know all those big fat checks I wrote him? Ah, well, it's really nothing. That's none of your beeswax. That's our business and not yours. (laughs) Okay, James, keep trying, baby. This is an exercise in just checking the boxes, getting it on the record, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back on the Wendy Bell Radio program, here's what we're going to do. When you cannot win on policy, you've got to go all in on propaganda. A deep dive on the media coverage of Trump blows your mind next. Having gone to journalism school, both in college and in graduate school, ethics is always a very big part of the conversation. And it's hard to describe what ethics actually means. It's a, it's a word, but it means so much. It means going out on a story, if you're a reporter, and not trying to prove your preconceived notion of what the story is but to go out and to talk to people and to determine what it is. If you're a videographer, say, and your story is to go out and capture the video to accompany the reporter's story, there are ways you can frame people and subjects and environments that you present on the news that are swaying, that share an idea that might not be the real idea of the story. This is drilled, drilled into your head, or it was in the 80s and the 90s when I was at the University of Colorado and the University of Missouri for graduate school. You wouldn't even think about going on a story or doing something with with an agenda. Nor was there ever any conversation about how people felt politically. You were supposed to always be separated. And that's how I operated for 20-odd years on television news. 
it was not incumbent upon me to share pe- with people my views. I had to try to share the views of my community with them so that they could make up their best determinations. We've gone a long, we've gone a long way from that. And, and these media research centers, uh, investigations into mainstream media coverage are very illuminating and very disappointing. And I have to be honest with you, it's a, it's a tough thing to see how much the field I really, really cared about and believed in and wanted to be a part of so I could do it justice, how much it sucks. And it's so bad. So if you've never followed newsbusters.org, it's one of those sites I like to stop in and visit a couple times a week because they spend a lot of time looking at how the media cover this or that. And this particular story has a headline update. On the airwaves, Trump is now facing a two-front war. And this really kind of underscores the whole idea of today's show, which I brought you in the beginning monologue several hours ago, was that the noose is tightening. And I think the players who've pushed this narrative that Joe Biden is well, that he won fair and square, that the vaccine was going to be this great salvation, uh, that we needed to shut down and destroy the economy, that Congress needed to pass trillions of dollars of of money and spending that we could not possibly afford, uh, and that the results of it are Donald Trump's fault, right? It's all so ridiculous when you take just... A small segment of it. Now, what do you do when you take four weeks of your ABC, CBS, and NBC news coverage and you go over it morning, noon, and night, all of the news channels, and you tally up how many times a story comes up that is negative about Donald Trump? Why, why should there be any stories right now really about negative Donald Trump? He's running for office. He's running to be president. They're obsessed. They are obsessed because they know what is coming, and it is very scary. That's not a good enough excuse. So listen to this. In the wake of former President Donald Trump's double-digit victory in the New Hampshire primary, there's been a notable shift in broadcast TV's coverage of the GOP nomination race. While Trump remains the center of attention, garnering more than five minutes of airtime for every one minute allotted to Nikki Haley, And he's still on the receiving end of mostly negative coverage. There's been this significant increase in TV news airtime devoted to the role of policy issues in the Republican race. This is a broadening of the network's hostile agenda as the media adjusts their focus to the all but certain general election between Trump and Biden. While most of Trump's bad press is still associated with various legal cases against him, which have all been purposeful and all been purposeful in the zip codes in which they've been dropped specific, right? The former president is now also being blasted with hostile coverage on immigration. 86% of that coverage is negative. What the hell has he done with immigration? How is any of this Donald Trump's fault or Republicans fault? It's not. They need you to believe that this is a Republican caused situation also russia 95 percent negative we even heard paul ryan talk about it talking about tucker carlson sitting down with vladimir putin i was aghast i was aghast that he did that what i thought we were about free speech i thought we were about i want to hear from the horse's mouth tucker carlson did that and they're all mad that they didn't get the interview but they all would have gone 
guarantee you. It's a big change from last year when the networks rarely discussed Trump's stances on various policies, right? So what are the lopsided coverage items? Media Research Center analyzed, all right? They examined all ABC, CBS, and NBC evening news coverage of the GOP race in the four weeks since the New Hampshire primary. So we're talking January 24 to February 20th, and this includes your weekends. Lots of coverage on the weekends, as you well know. Despite the head-to-head nature of the contest... The news coverage has been decidedly unequal. The evening newscasts have spent 148 minutes on Trump's candidacy compared to just 28 for former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, a greater than five to one disparity. He owns the coverage. Now, that would be a great thing if 89% of it wasn't negative, But we're also pretending that people aren't seeing through all of this, and they are. Article continues. In 2023, our study found Trump accounted for 79% of all GOP candidate airtime against a fragmented field of challengers who all trailed him in the polls. Now that the race is down to just two major candidates, TV news is more Trump-focused than than ever. The former president's coverage now accounts for 84% of all GOP candidate airtime, with Haley accounting for just 16%. TV just keeps bashing Donald Trump. Just as we saw last year, the media spin is relentlessly anti-Trump. In just four weeks, these newscasts aired 158 negative statements, excluding partisan comments about the former president, compared to just 19 positive comments for a good press, bad press score of 89% negative. For Haley, right? Since the New Hampshire primary, there have been too few comments about her in general for a score of this measure. I mean, that's how little they're talking about Nikki Haley. This year's Trump trashing comes in the wake of 2023's coverage, which an earlier study determined was 93 percent negative. Oh, it's early yet. It'll crank up. As for Haley, her 2023 coverage came out balanced, 50 percent positive, 50 percent negative. Still tied up in court, Trump's media profile continues to be defined by his legal cases, but not the extent we found in 2023. Trump's legal issues amounted to roughly 81 and a half minutes of airtime, or about 55% of his total coverage. In 2023, these cases loomed even larger, with more than 70% of Trump's total airtime. This is big because in this time frame, when they're looking at the media coverage, this, I mean, these huge stories about him, We're breaking, right? What broke during this time? That Judge Ergeron or whatever his name is, giving him a $355 million penalty, right? This is very interesting. The networks focus more of their airtime on the federal January 6th case, blah, 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 blah. And in the case last year, evening news coverage of these cases has been almost wholly critical of Donald Trump 95% of the time. That's crazy. But now they're bashing him on substance, too. During the last four weeks, nearly a fourth of the network's GOP campaign coverage has been about substantive, 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 good Lord, policy issues. This is a big shift from 2023, when a mere 8.6% of the network's campaign news discussed policy issues. And much of that was about the other candidates, not about Trump. So what are they talking about? Immigration. 
18 minutes and 32 seconds. That's the most as the former president weighed in on the border negotiations in Congress. Another 17 minutes and seven seconds was spent on Trump's views on Russia, NATO and Ukrainian aid. As previously noted, the networks are exhibiting the same hostility to Trump's policy positions as they have in their coverage of his court cases. Since January 24th, the network's spin on Trump's Russia, NATO, and Ukraine stance has been 95% negative, while their spin on his handling of immigration on the southern border has been almost as harsh, 86% negative. Why are we caring about this? I don't know if you're going to save these industries. I don't think you're going to come back after 12 years of known demonstrable bias in reporters who are really the propagandists of the Democrat Uniparty. How are you going to come back at the end of this and start all of a sudden telling the truth and expect to regain any kind of belief system? credibility they're not it's the same thing that's going on in medicine the same thing after telling you for so long to be afraid of a virus that bill gates later came out and said eh it was really kind of just like the flu right after years of pounding into you how many of you really are going to believe what these medical institutions say now, this brings me back to the opening idea. You have to think critically. You have to see the headline and you have to dig into it. It's the same thing that we did during COVID. We were on the CDC's website every single day and we'd follow all the clink- clickable links to all their various claims. And we were able to provide to you the facts. And the facts don't equal fear. They don't equal rush out and do something. Snap. Slow down. The news networks cannot be trusted. You know this. And it's not changing. When we come back on the Wendy Bell Radio program, that moment that race stops uniting people who look alike. A Chicago woman drops a truth bomb On Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson and my Lord, my friends, it is worth waiting for next. You know, I found it very interesting, some of Donald Trump's comments about black voters most recently. And I hate that we look at people as a pot like here's a we got a pot of these people. We got a pot of these people. If you look a certain way, you're over there. Because that's not how it goes. And yet that's how we've been conditioned to think about things. But Donald Trump said something very interesting about the the black vote. And if I'm not mistaken, he got 8% the first time he ran. I think he got 12 the second time he ran, which was the highest number ever. Nobody ever got 12% of the black vote. My friends, when I tell you that in polling, whether or not you believe it, it's an interesting snapshot of what could be. It looks like right now, Donald Trump has 20% of the black vote. 20%. It's because it's obvious. It's common sense. 
You either look at your life the way it is today, no matter where you live, and see that it's changed since Joe Biden has been president, whether it means it's changed financially, it's changed for your children and their schooling or their future or what have you. It's changed for your family's safety, right? It's changed and banking on on the financing part. You just got a tax bill and you realize what the hell your taxes are and you're saying to yourself, for what? For what am I paying for? The black community has been used and abused by the Democrat Party. I don't even know for how long. Generations. Generations. And they were taken for granted by Democrats. The same way Democrats take for granted that Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, who are Republicans in name only, will always vote the way they want until the day they don't. Whenever that day is, I don't know. Well, we're having an awakening where the day that the black community stops voting Democrat is here. Now, is it the majority? It is not the majority by any stretch. But just chipping away and merely presenting a platform of, do you, do you want safe again? Do you want opportunity? Do you want taxes to be reasonable? Do you, do you want to feel like there's law and order that your kids are going to be safe if they're outside? Do, do you want those things? Because that's what we represent. It's resonating now as black residents are being replaced by migrants. They're being replaced in Cleveland, in Baltimore, in Philadelphia, in Boston, in San Francisco, and most assuredly in New York City. We have 67,000 homeless veterans who we're not giving shelter to, but we are millions of random people who have no skin in the game, but who want to take the money and the prosperity of the greatest place on planet Earth. A Chicago woman lost it. So she's got she's at a city council meeting, presumably. Brandon Johnson, mayor. He sucks. He sucks as much as the other one sucks. They keep voting in the wrong people and then baffled by the same results. And this woman loses it. And bless her, she doesn't swear. But she loses her mind. We know what is going on. We're not on your plantation anymore. And I don't care that you're black. I'm black too. I'm free. And I'm free to see exactly what you people have done to this city. And we want our city back. And you deserve to hear this. What's happening is they're emptying out the dregs of their jails into the United States, into our communities. They're junking up our country. And yeah, we feel some kind of way about it because it's our country. Yeah, Black History Month, the American descendants of slavery. And I want you to know, Brandon Johnson, I understand what Blakemore's saying about we still own the plantation, but what you're looking at right now, this is what a free Negro look like. And I'm telling you, we're going to get our city back. We're going to stand for our people. We're going to get them out of our communities because they don't deserve to be there. You watch us. We black out here, and we're going to handle our business. You watch that. I'm a free black woman. This is how we get down. This is where they've been pushed. Where their rec centers have been closed. 
so that the cots for the migrants can be rolled in. Where the taxes in New York have gone out of control because Eric Adams wants to try a pilot program, loading $53 million onto prepaid debit cards and giving them to random people. When the folks in their own cities are suffering and struggling under Democrat policies of suck. Look, insanity only lasts for so long, right? That notion of doing the same thing over and over again, getting different results. At some point, everybody gets the frying pan to the face moment where they wake up and they see whether it's some thug breaking into their house, whether it's their child slipping through the cracks at school, whether it's the invasion at the border and the drugs that have poured across, whether it's the taxes that they can't pay and the mortgage requirements that they can't meet. People who just wanted to be left alone to live in peace feel like they have no other recourse now. The news is tightening. And it's a beautiful thing. If you're new to the program, I implore you to do one thing. Please come back. Okay, two things. And maybe tomorrow when you do, bring a friend. Because we're going to go tomorrow, we're going to do the same thing. We'll walk through the headlines, we'll dig through the suck, we'll find the facts together so that each of us can make the best decisions for the people we love. I'm Wendy Bell. Thank you for being here. God bless you and peace.